This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, welcome. First, want to thank Dennis and Reva Von Bush for serving coffee this morning. And uh, I think there's a sign-up sheet there. If anybody else wants to volunteer throughout the rest of the year, um, talk to John or Linda Regal. But we'll, uh, we'd love the volunteers. The more, the merrier. My mother-in-law always says, many hands makes light work. And uh, so that's what we're, we're always going for. We are working our way uh, through the book of Genesis today. As we do so, uh, I think the elder will come around with a basket. We're collecting for Luther Classical College. Uh, and so that's what uh, the goal is for this month of December. Um, just kind of give you a heads up. Uh, I guess I want to feel out this question. Next week, December 24th, um, my plan is to have Bible study just like normal. In the morning, we celebrate Advent 4, and in the evening, we celebrate Christmas Eve. How many of you are going to be here in the morning so we can do the same Bible study? Okay. How many of you will not be here in the morning for Bible study? Okay. With that rough count, we're just going to keep plugging away on this Bible study. Uh, sorry to those of you who won't be here, uh, but uh, it is available on the YouTube and on KNNA The Cross, 95.7 LP, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> All right. We are working our way through the different parts of the curse that God put on mankind, Adam and Eve and the serpent, uh, as a result of the fall into sin. We talked about this curse placed upon the serpent, which points directly forward to the crucifixion resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that clearly uh, in the curse upon Satan. And we were talking last time, we got through most of it, talking about the curse that's upon the woman, which was in part A, an increase in the pain associated with childbirth because that's the way that Jesus will be born. That's what we're about to celebrate next week with Christmas. Jesus, born of the woman, born in Bethlehem. And I'm just going to ask the ladies here, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, did Virgin Mary feel any pain? Yes. Okay. And that's the fulfillment of that. And I know you still have to deal with that yourselves, but that's what's going on there. Yeah, Corby.
Yeah. Every time, the idea is this. Every time a woman gives birth and it hurts, it's a reminder of our sin and that God is sending the solution through this process of childbirth. Does that kind of help clarify a little bit? And that's um, 1 Timothy 2 that we read last time. Uh, 2, 14, and 15 talks about that a little bit as well. So that'd be the place to go also. Uh, It says, woman will save herself through childbirth. It doesn't mean that if you have a baby, you automatically go to heaven. But rather, Jesus is going to be born in this way, and that's where we're looking to that. Is that kind of answer? Okay. No, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, D. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> but she is going to have every medication available so she will not feel any pain. Yes. So where are we at now with that? <laughs> um, our modern technology and medical abilities do not change the promise of God. And so... Um, I, think, I think that's as far down that path as I necessarily want to go. Um, I'm just going to ask this to the ladies, too, because, you know, I'm not a first-hand give-birth person. <laughs> um, even when you have the medicine, my wife didn't, but even when you have the medicine, I imagine it still hurts the next day. Yeah. A little sore then. So I think the pain is still there even if we try and deaden it. And I, I, I don't want you to hear that you are required to be a Christian to give birth without any medication or without anything like that. That's not what we're saying at all. But the fact that it, there is that pain that's there is that reminder that points forward to this is how Christ is going to be born. Yes, Tim. Um. Yeah. And that's where we're going today. That's where we're going today. Men's men men have a curse as well. Okay. So that first part is the pain in childbirth, a reminder that Christ is going to be born, just like we're going to celebrate next week. And then we also had these words, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, which parallel words that we'll look at in Genesis 4, where sin's desire is for Cain and he's supposed to rule over it. And what this means is there is this desire now um, for women to change the order of creation in that sense, uh, to make themselves into the head of the family. And that's not how God designed it. And it corresponds right along with men who have now a sinful desire to not act as the head of the family and the household. And um, we see that there as also a result of the fall into sin and the curse. We could get into all sorts of topics on this, um, including things like women's ordination and, and things like that, that that's a result of that. It's a result of the fall into sin, and it's not the way that God designed it. And I wanted to say, we ended last time, I said, this is 
what modern feminism is, and I wanted to clarify what I mean by that because we ran out of time. There's been multiple waves of feminism. I think we're on the fourth wave feminism right now. And it's not that we are saying, if you're a woman, you cannot have a job. Or if you're a woman, your job is to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, uh, or anything like that. What we're saying is that when we go against God's word in the order of creation, that's the part of feminism that we have a problem with. And so that's the part that I'm pointing out here so that we can be aware to see that because it does exist in our society. And it's taught to us. Okay, this is what I was taught when I was a kid because I watched TV. Okay, how many of you watched the TV show Roseanne? Okay, a few people. Okay, who, was, who wore the pants in Roseanne's family? Roseanne, until... <laughs> Until she said some things she shouldn't have said and got kicked off, right, in the reboot. Okay? That's the thing that's not good. That's the thing that's not good. And it doesn't mean that a wife (laughs) doesn't tell her husband what she thinks or give her input, right? Wives, maybe I should ask the husbands this. Husbands, do your wives do that? Okay. (laughs) Right? It's like... um, the joke from the big fat Greek wedding, right? The man is the head of the household, but the wife is the neck, and she turns the head any way she wants, <laughs> right? Okay, that's, that's saying it kind of in a joke way, and it's probably a little too far. But the man, if he's sacrificing for his wife and family, never should do something that is... Um, Be careful how I say this. Never does something to purposefully hurt or harm his bride and children. He should not. If he does, then he's sinning, right? Okay, does that make sense? Kind of how that distinction needs to be said. That's the problem we have with the feminist movement as it's being carried out in our world today. Okay, now you say that and people accuse you of Uh, wanting to go back to the Stone Age and oppressing women and all that stuff. We're not doing that. We just want to observe the order that God put into the world. All right. Anybody want to throw stones? Oh, Leonard does. Okay. I'm going to throw stones, but I just had this conversation with my sister, younger sister, just a couple of days ago. And she went fighting the glass ceiling through her education. She eventually became a doctor. She got some doctors to back her to get her into medical school, which would have been a stumbling block for her. Yeah. And she says that in the Midwest, women uh, are treated uh, in a more subservient role in the, in the Midwest, more so than elsewhere in the country. So, uh, Yeah. Because. Uh, I guess the, yeah, the point I wanted to make is this is so prevalent in society that you can't hardly talk to any woman 
opposed to that, the position this church has on adorning, adorning ordaining women. And it's because of yeah. modern feminism, which has gone way off the rails from its beginning. Right. And um, to ordain women, you have to throw out God's word that says you should not. <laughs> And, and that leads to the other problems that then they have like in the Methodist church now or the ELCA church now where there's lots of other issues because when you remove God's word as the foundation on which you stand, then you're floating and fall. <laughs> kind of like Wiley e. Coyote running off the edge of the cliff there. Um, and so a wife is, is a great treasure and maybe this is the way to say it. If, it is, if she is your great treasure, husbands, it's not that you abuse and destroy her. What do you do? You love and care and support, for, support her because of that. And there, there is that distinction. And there have been problems with that. And that's how feminism began, is there were problems. Um, but now it's gone too far, as oftentimes correction does, okay? And it does it both directions, and we just need to be aware of that. All right, Tim. The way it's been explained to me is that when we say the weaker vessel, that that does not mean weakness the way modern people think that it means, that, but rather that how do you treat your funny child? Right, right. I think that's a good way to say it. <laughs> uh, although, you should get your wife out of the cabinet more often than one time a year. <laughs> so there's where the analogy breaks down with the fine china. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, too. You see how red his face got? Whoa. <laughs> Okay, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, any other questions about the curse to woman? Because I also want to talk about the curse to man today. All right. The curse to men. All right, so I'm going to read that again because we, we haven't read it this week. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, if you look at it lengthwise, the woman's curse is just four lines in your Bible, but the serpent's curse is long, and the man's curse is long here as well. There's a lot that goes into this because um, the man is the one who's bearing a lot of the brunt of this. And we'll talk about what I mean as we look at this a little bit longer. So now, the first thing that God says to him is what the problem was. Okay? And the problem was that he listened to the voice of his wife. Now, it doesn't mean that she should never ever speak to him. She, he listened to the voice of his wife over what? God's word. God's word. And what did God's word say to the man? 
Don't eat from this tree. But instead of listening to the word of God, he listened to the word of his wife, which at that point had been corrupted by Satan's lies and deception. And let's just be clear about it. When lies and deception and false teaching creep in, it multiplies in that very way. But the man heard the word straight from the mouth of God, and so he should not have listened to any word that was opposed to God's word. Okay? And so that's really what it's saying there. He listened to another word and ate from the tree that he should not have eaten from. Um, Does that make sense? Okay. So now the result. Because you did this, cursed is the ground. Now, what does this mean, cursed is the ground? It means several things, okay? Now, the first thing, and I don't have this on the slide, is um, before the fall into sin, all that God had made was good. And now that sin has entered the world, all that God had made deals with what? Sin. It's all corrupted, okay? It's starting to fall apart. And you see this in yourself, right? I see it in myself. I had a haircut yesterday, and a lot more of the hair laying on the floor is now gray instead of this gorgeous brown that it, no, <laughs> just teasing, okay? It, and your body doesn't work as well. It's wearing out. You get arthritis, you get wrinkles, you carry more around than you should, All these things are a result of sin, and it permeates through the entire creation, including all of the earth and all the things therein. Animals die also because of our sin, right? We have a dog at our house, and she's 10 years old, a Labrador, and she's getting uh, cataracts in her eyes. She doesn't smell as well. She can't run as fast. She's wearing out and dying because sin entered the world. That's the curse that goes into the ground. And it's attached then to Adam. Now there's more to it than that as well because where did Adam come from? Yeah, he's made from the dust of the ground. And so that curse isn't just for the ground itself, but it also is for man and mankind. Okay? And the curse looks like this. You are dust, and to dust you will return. This is the promise that what is going to happen to all people unless Jesus comes back first? We're going to return to the ground. Now, how does that happen? We die. We die. We die. Our, our body is put in the ground and it decomposes and all of it eventually will be lost in the ground. Okay? And also then, there's a certain irony to that because then where do we get our food to sustain our life in this world? By working the ground. We're taken from the ground, and now we have to work the ground, and someday we'll go back into the ground. And the ground is all cursed because the fall into sin. 
Okay? And there's now toil involved in getting that food out of the ground. All right? So I'm a gardener. How many gardeners are there out here? Okay? Um, when you plant your seeds and they first come up, you look out there and you smile. and Oh, it's going to be such a good year. And then the next day, what happens? There are weeds everywhere. Right? And you say, I didn't plant these weeds. <laughs> Where did they come from? They come as a result of sin. Okay? I'm not saying they spontaneously generate themselves. That's, that's kind of a crazy thought. They, they get there in natural means that God has put in place. But the reason that they're doing this, growing where they shouldn't grow, is because of sin. Okay? Now, we're going to talk more about the weeds in a second. When we talk about these things, the curse for man is not in pain in childbirth, because men don't give birth, okay? The curse for man attaches itself to what thing? Work. Work. The man has to work now to do what? Provide for his family. Okay? And it's going to be hard and painful. Right? It's a different kind of pain. It's not the pain of childbirth, okay, generally. But it is hard and painful, and the man then, his duty is to go out and do that to take care of his family. And it might, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and it's an everyday thing. A woman has a baby, maybe three babies in their lifetime, three times of pain. Right. A man, every day, has to work hard. She says, um... It's an everyday thing that's that pain. Um, where I'm, I'm quoting you so that <laughs> a, a woman only has a child three times. Is the average 2.6 times, right? What's this 0.6 time like? I don't know. Okay, 2.6 times, average three-ish times in her life. Now, I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. Okay? Because I don't see any of your kids here. Did they ever cause you pain later on after the childbirth time? Okay, so there is, there is a lifelong attachment of that pain with the whole process, right? Don't tell Joe I said that. Okay. <laughs> no, just do that. It's, it's an everyday thing for all of us in that regard. This duty especially falls on the man, though. I'm not, this is a, we're not saying women can't have jobs. Okay, if you read the last chapter of Proverbs, you see that. And if you... Look around the, the life, you know, even if a woman is a stay-at-home mom, like my wife is, she has a lot of work that she does, <laughs> okay? Um, but what we're saying is, if times are tight and you can't make ends meet, upon whom does this responsibility and pain fall first and foremost? The man. The man, if he needs to have two or three jobs to take care of his family, that's what he needs to do, to sacrifice himself for his wife and family, even if it's miserable and painful and suffering, okay? Now, we're talking about us today. What does this point forward to? 
Who had the worst job of all jobs that have ever existed? Right? If Mike, you guys know Mike Rowe, he did the Dirty Jobs show. Okay? Imagine that he had to do that with Jesus and follow Christ through all the things that he suffered through his life in order to save his bride, the church, from her sin. That'd be the last show. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? It's all just like the woman's pain and childbirth points forward to Christ. This points forward to Christ too. And even the words that are used point forward. And I want to show you this then, okay? This is a painting by Albrecht Dürer, okay? And it's of Jesus. And we can tell that because we've got the thorns that are there. The curse to man was, you're going to work the ground and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. Now the first thing... Let's get our modern think, thinking out of here. Let's go back to pioneer times because maybe that'll help us understand it. When you are going to plant the ground, the first thing you have to do is what? Plow, right? You get your plow and you turn the sod over. Okay? Now, it breaks open the ground. It rips open the dust of the earth. When does that happen to Jesus? Pilate sent him and had him flogged. And his flesh from the dust of the earth in Adam is ripped open in the flogging. Okay? And then it says, thorns and thistles it will produce for you. Christ, what is placed upon his head when he is being mocked before his crucifixion? crown of thorns. He's now wearing on his head as his crown for his kingdom what sin produced, um, what sin brought into the process of taking care of your family. And then it says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. What do we know about Jesus sweating um, during his passion. He sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a Greek word, uh, Greek or Hebrew? It means oil press. That's what it means. Okay? How do you get oil out of olives? You squish them with a big wheel that rolls over them and the oil flows out. Okay? And that, that place... Christ is being squished, not with an oil press or a big wooden or a stone rolling over him, but instead what's weighing down on him that's pushing blood out? The sin of the whole world. Okay? And then he says, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. What do you think that means? If we're connecting all this to Jesus... Do we eat any bread that reminds us of Jesus? Yeah, the Lord's Supper. And, and I'm not even, it doesn't just remind us of Jesus. What is it? It is Jesus. Okay? And so you see, this has its fulfillment in Jesus as well, just like the curse upon the woman. Okay? Now then, what that means, men, is that. When you're a husband, the person that you emulate 
ought to be Jesus. Sacrificing for the church, that's then what you do for your bride. Okay, Tim. Can we also connect uh, where Jesus says, My bread is to do the will of the Father who sent me? I think I think we can, yeah. And that's that's in John. Is it John? I can't remember where that is, but yes, I don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> okay? So do you do you see then? There's, let me ask you this way. Is there pain involved in the curse for both men and women? Okay. Women, do you always like being uh, in submission to your husbands? Nobody wants to answer. They're all sitting against their husbands. Right? Okay. I'm just going to assume no. Okay. Sometimes our sinful nature doesn't like that. Husbands, do you always like sacrificing for your bride? I'm going to say probably No. And that's even where the temptation is for both of us. Okay? We read about women, how their desire is to be above their husband, to be the head of the family in that way. And men, going right along with it, their desire is to avoid suffering like Jesus for their family. Their temptation is to not suffer and to go home, to sit on the couch, drink the beer watch the football game or or volleyball game today, right? Whatever the game is. We find our fulfillment in both places, in Christ and the church, and we repent of this, and we seek to, in that sense, return to the way it was before sin and to do it the way God designed it in the beginning. All right, any questions on the curse? Great. All right. I'm going to talk then about the, try and finish up the chapter here then, okay? We're up to, the, up to the part where Adam is now going to give his wife a name. This is verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. I want to just focus on this verse, okay? Because... Adam has already had a name. His name tells you where he came from, the dust of the ground. And he's a man. That means both those words. Adam means man and dirt. Okay? Dirt boy. That's what Pastor Poppy called me for that reason. Okay? Now Eve gets her name. And her name, Eve, is actually a confession from Adam and Eve both that they believed the promises that God was giving them in the words that we've been focusing on the last two weeks. Specifically in that there will be an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. They believe God's promise of a Savior. And that's why Eve gets her name, Eve. The name Eve is the Hebrew to live. To live. The mother of all the living. What do they believe is going to happen? What has God promised that they believe? 
Yeah, that God's sending a Savior and that they'll have eternal life in Him, right? Um, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not die, and whoever believes in me and dies, yet shall he live. Okay? Those words about life, they believe, and as a reminder of that to themselves for the rest of their life, Eve's name means to live. And it's even, this is going to get them in a little trouble here in chapter 4. We're going to look at that, okay? Because they're thinking very short term still. When God says, your offspring is going to crush the serpent's head, what are they thinking? They're thinking that their first child is going to be the one who will fix this problem. They're not thinking long term generations and thousands of years later when it actually will be fulfilled. Okay? But, in that sense, they're already looking forward in faith to Jesus Christ. Okay? In that sense, I've got on the sheet, it's kind of like the first creed. Okay? We believe we're going to live We believe it so strongly that that's the name of my wife. We're going to live. Eve. And even the the verb, when it says she's the mother of all the living, that's confession. The way it's going to happen is she's going to give birth, and that will be the Savior. You see that there? Does that make sense or not? Now, We kind of have a similar thing when we baptize people. We say, what is the child named? And when we say that, what do we do? We say the child's whole name. We're writing it in the book of life in heaven. We're speaking it in front of God saying, this person has received your promises and we promise to raise this child up in that faith so that they may receive that blessing from you and live. So we have that same thing even reflected in our baptismal right now also. Okay, you guys are really quiet today, so I'm afraid that I'm not making sense. Next verse, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and her, his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now this is to fix what they were trying to do. When they fell into sin, they felt shame. And because they felt shame, what did they try to do? Cover it up by making clothing out of fig leaves, sewing fig leaves together into loincloths. That was their effort. And did it work well? No. It worked so poorly that they hid as well in the bushes behind the trees. Right? They hid from God because they knew their efforts to hide their shame weren't going to work. But now, who is doing the doing in this verse? Verse 21. It says, The Lord God now makes them clothes from garments of skin. Okay? This is, this this teaches that Adam and Eve are the first Lutherans, right? (laughs) Okay? They're saved by grace, not by things that they have done. God comes in and fixes the problem by putting clothes on them to cover their shame. 
Now he makes the clothes out of animal skins. Anybody know how you get animal skins? You kill the animal. <laughs> you have to take them off the animal. And that kills the animal. Okay? And even if you're a deer hunter, you know this, right? Um, when you skin an animal and you get done, what's on your hands? Blood. Blood. It's a bloody process. Okay? Already, I just want to say this too, these are the very first animals to die. They die to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve, and blood has to be shed to get those skins off. What does that point us forward to also? The whole sacrifice system culminating in the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay? So this points forward to that. And you see this, um, this is an old, um, old, old, old depiction of this. You see angel there pushing him out of the door of Eden right here. And you see they have those uh, animal skins on. And this angel right here we're going to hear about in a second as well. This is the cherubim. You can tell because it's got those wings like that. That's the way they used to depict those angels this is more accurate than our chubby little babies that fly, okay? <laughs> um, with the wings like that, it's a little bit closer to what the Scripture teaches. So God clothes them. He sheds blood because they sinned. And it's that shedding of blood, according to the book of Hebrews, that covers their guilt. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sins, now, when are you clothed in blood? In the waters of holy baptism. The blood of Christ covers all of your sin, and you are clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness. Okay? And even think about it this way. The animals died for Adam and Eve to get clothes made of skins, but now Jesus dies so that you are clothed with him, not with his skin. In, you know, we're not silence of the lambs here, kind of weird stuff. But you are clothed with Jesus so that now when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees Jesus and your sins are not seen by him then. You see that? All right. I want to finish up this chapter here. Because then you have them cast out of Eden. Okay? Uh, 22. Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden, and he closes the door, if you will, by putting a flaming cherubim in front of it. All right, so you see, again, this is a more accurate depiction of a cherubim, okay, with the six wings, the four heads, um, just imagine it on fire, and with lots of eyes, and you have what Scripture puts forward, okay? 
Why doesn't God let them stay in the Garden of Eden? So they don't live forever in their sin. Does God want them to live forever? Yes, but not in their sin. And it should make sense why. Is it fun to live in sin? Okay, do you, do you ever just like look at the things going on and say, this is miserable? <laughs> It's suffering. It's painful. The things God cursed upon us come about. It's not fun, and it wouldn't be good to do it forever. And God wants what is good for us. So he's going to take away our sin through Jesus, and then in the resurrection of the dead, the door is open again, ripped open from top to bottom, if we're talking about the temple here, and we get to go in, and Revelation depicts Uh, In the end of the book, the tree of life producing its fruit in due season, 12 crops of fruit a year, and you get to eat from the tree of life there. And you actually get a foretaste of that heavenly food here in church. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you are eating, in that sense, from the tree of life. And you will live forever with your sins forgiven In Jesus Christ. So when will we return to Eden? Well, either when we die in this world, spiritually we'll go there. On the day of resurrection when Christ returns, bodily and spiritually we will go there. And we will be there into all the ages that are to come. All right, does that make sense? Does that mean that we can go and find the Garden of Eden? There's people who say it's buried in the Middle East and that's where all of our oil comes from. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's something beyond where we can reach in this creation. And it's probably right beyond our eyes, which is why we have no problem saying when we're in church, in the divine service, it is heaven on earth. And it's like we're there even though we don't see it. That makes sense? All right, Corby, you had your hand up for a second. I was just going to say that the Mormons uh, believe it's in Jackson County, Missouri. Yeah, the Mormons believe it's in Jackson County, Missouri. (laughs) There's a well, I... That's, I think that's the county that Pastor Goodroad is from. What does that say? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go down that path anymore. <laughs> Any other questions? All right. Next week we'll keep plugging away, and we'll, since we're talking about the birth of Jesus, next week we'll talk about the death of Abel. <laughs> In Bible study, but we'll move into chapter four and we'll go a little quicker now because we got a lot of foundation that's been built. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.